and welcome to In Conversation with The Lancet HIV. I'm Peter Hayward, Editor-in-Chief, and in this, the November edition of the podcast, I'm going to be talking to Sophia Ryan of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health in Boston. Sophia is going to be telling me a bit more about an article which is published in our November issue. It's an emulation of target trials that looks at the use of integrated strand transfer inhibitors and cardiovascular events in adults with HIV. Before Sophia joins us, I'd like to draw your attention to a couple of other pieces in our November issue. We have a report from the HBTN 083 trial of safety and efficacy of long-acting PrEP with cabotegravir, which presents results specifically for transgender women. And we also have a summary of HIV drug resistance in people on dolutegravir-based regimens in a collaborative cohort analysis. But now we'll go to Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your paper, which has just been published in The Lancet HIV. To start with, perhaps you could give us a little bit of background. Metabolic effects and cardiovascular risk associated with HIV treatment has become a major topic of research in recent years. I wonder if you could explain what the issues are around this and, and what inspired you to do your study. Yeah. So first of all, thanks very much for inviting me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to speak to you about our work. Um, yeah, and to answer your question. So there has been concern that antiretroviral drugs, and in particular the class of HIV drugs called integrase inhibitors, or INSTIs for short, are associated with weight gain and metabolic complications. So there have been randomized trials and also observational studies that had such findings. And this has then led to some discussion about whether these differences in metabolic risk might translate into differences in risk of clinical events. So we're talking about serious events like stroke and myocardial infarction. And this is a really important question because people with HIV already have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease than the general population. So it's really important to essentially investigate whether the type of antiretroviral drug someone receives might further contribute to cardiovascular events. And this is what we did in our study, um, which was to investigate if INSTEs impact the risk of cardiovascular events in both uh, people starting antiretroviral therapy or ART for the first time, and also in those who have already been taking ART for some time. Thank you. Um, and presumably this could be quite a difficult thing to, to study with treatments helping people to overcome the effects of living with HIV and people living longer and that coming with risks of aging. It might must be difficult to sort of untangle the various factors contributing to potential cardiovascular risks. Is that right? Yeah, so it's indeed difficult to study this uh, with observational data in particular. So this is data that is routinely recorded in clinic databases, for instance, and then used for research purposes. So essentially any data that is not from a randomized trial. And so it's difficult for mainly two reasons. Uh, the first one is confounding. So as you say, there might be additional factors other than the type of treatment um, that someone receives that may contribute to cardiovascular risk. So for example, smoking or high blood pressure. And these factors may also vary between people who do and do not take a certain type of treatment, because in reality, it is not random who is taking which type of treatment in observational data. So this is different to a randomized trial where treatment assignment is random. So this is called confounding. Um, and when we have this type of confounding, 
the effect of these factors, such as smoking and blood pressure, may essentially be tangled up with the effect of treatment on the outcome that we're interested in. So here would be cardiovascular disease. Um, so the second reason why it's difficult when we use observational data is because we also need to very carefully think about how to design the study in a way that it mimics a randomized trial that we would conduct in practice as much as possible. Because randomized trials are the gold standard for evaluating the effect of treatments on an outcome. Um, but this is much more difficult with observational studies. Um, with observational data, there is always a risk of kind of introducing uh, design biases, such as selection bias, if we do not carefully think about different elements of the design. Because with observational data, there's lots of decisions to be made in terms of the design. Uh, because when we have observational data, we often have this large uh, database with often longitudinal data. So we need to decide how we're going to design the study within this data set. So this includes, for example, thinking about the timing of the start of follow-up of the study and also clearly defining the treatment groups to be compared. This is all much clearer in a randomized trial, but in observational study, we need to kind of ensure that our design is in line with what would be done in reality um, in a real trial. Otherwise, we may make errors that can then down the road uh, might affect our conclusions about the effect of a treatment. So yeah, it's difficult to study this using observational data, but there are definitely ways that we can overcome these challenges. And one of them is the target trial framework. It's a really useful uh, concept that helps us to design and analyze observational data in a way essentially that it's compatible with a randomized trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned the target trial approach there. Um, this is something that we've seen a bit more, you know, we're starting to see sort of various of these studies come to the journal now and seeing them published elsewhere. I wonder if you could sort of explain a little bit more about the target trial approach. And I mean, you've touched a bit on it already, but sort of what is it and, and, and why was it a useful approach in studying this topic? Yeah, so in general, the purpose of the target trial approach is to first think about the randomized trial that we would ideally like to conduct to investigate the effect of a treatment and an outcome. And then this hypothetical trial is called the target trial. And what we want to do is to emulate this trial using observational data, which will then ultimately help us to eliminate uh, the design biases that I mentioned, so such as selection bias or immortal time bias. And the first step is usually to very explicitly define the target trial that we want to emulate. So we usually do this by creating a protocol um, that specifies the trial and its design, such as the eligibility criteria, the treatment strategies, the outcome, follow-up times, and statistical analysis. So like we would do for a real trial, we then uh, specify the procedures for emulation using observational data, for instance, which confounding factors do we need to control for to emulate random treatment assignment. And then based on this protocol, we conduct the observational study in a way that is compatible with the target trial. And we can, for example, also specify and estimate an intention to treat or per protocol effect this way uh, using the appropriate statistical methods. So, and then in the end, if the emulation is successful, the observational study will provide the same estimates of the treatment effect as a randomized trial. A neat solution to, to the problems that you've addressed already. So for your target trial emulation, you obviously you need to have a, a bunch of observational data. 
can you tell us what observational data that you you use to assess the cardiovascular risk in people being treated with NSTs? Yeah, so the data uh, that we use came from the HIV causal and RCC collaborations. Uh, these are two of the largest collaborations of HIV cohorts, and the collaborations include cohorts across clinics in Europe and North America. So we have cohorts from Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, France, and, and some other countries in Europe, as well as from the US and Canada. And these are both very long-standing collaborations between HIV clinicians and also methodologists uh, that exist to address important clinical questions in HIV medicine and care, um, usually the ones that are difficult to answer with uh, smaller data sets from a single cohort study. So data like this are particularly important if we want to study relatively rare events such as cardiovascular events or other serious comorbidities that may take a long time to occur um, or may yeah, just be very rare in the population of people with HIV. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic that these large cohorts exist to provide data for, for these sorts of questions. So you've done the target trial with the data from RCC and the other cohort. And can you then briefly explain what you found in your study, what what your results were, and, and were any of these findings particularly surprising for you? So we found that the use of INSTEs did not result in a clinically meaningful difference in cardiovascular events, both in the population of ART-naive individuals, so those who started ART for the first time, and also in the population of individuals who are ART-experienced, so those who have already taken ART for some time and maybe switching to a regimen containing INSTE. Um, and this finding was very reassuring because INSTEs are taken widely throughout the world, both in high income and also low and middle income countries. So it was very reassuring that our findings suggest that indeed INSTEs are not likely to impact cardiovascular risk in a meaningful way. I mean, that's obviously very reassuring given the, given the large scale rollout of, of INSTEs for the treatment of HIV. That's fantastic. Well done on, on that research. And obviously sort of then... It leads to the sort of question for me, as sort of more and more people are living longer with, with HIV and more and more people are being treated with INSTEs. And as you mentioned, there's difficulties with doing sort of randomized controlled trials once people are being studied. What sort of studies do you think need to be done sort of with people at a population level being treated with INSTEs to understand the evolving risks of, uh, evolving risks of metabolic factors and cardiovascular disease in people on with HIV who are long, on long-term treatment? I think in general, there should be more studies investigating the long-term consequences of different types of ART, um, including INSTEs or PI-based, uh, so protease inhibitor-based regimens are also dual uh, therapy on non-AIDS comorbidities in particular. So this includes cardiovascular disease, but also other non-AIDS non comorbidities. Uh, because we're already seeing non-AIDS comorbidities account for a large proportion of morbidity and mortality in people with HIV. And obviously, this will become even more important as the population of people with HIV will become older. Um, at the same time, as people live longer, they will be taking ART for a long time. So we need to better understand what the consequences are in terms of potential toxicity from long-term exposure to ART and how this essentially influences and interacts with these comorbidities. So because there are many different combinations of ART that people take and many different combinations that are recommended, so 
we need to understand potential differences and how these combinations may influence long-term mobility. And then ideally these studies could influence uh, guidelines on which combinations may be safer over the long term. But I think it's also really important to pause and kind of highlight how great it is that we can now talk about future research and challenges in the context of people with HIV living longer because of effective treatment. So this is obviously an amazing sign that so much progress has already been made and it's it's very motivating to keep doing important research that can improve the long-term health of many people. So yeah, that we can we can keep making more progress. Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of also highlights the importance of getting people, you know, making sure that everyone has access to to treatment, to the best treatments to ensure they can live these longer lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining me today to talk about your study. Thank you for having me. Been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, if you found that interesting, we've a few other papers in our archives that you might also like to take a look at. For example, in April 2020, we published a review of HIV and cardiovascular disease that was led by Matthew Freiberg. And all the way back in our July 2017 issue, we published the Intrepid trial that compared pitavastatin and pravastatin for the treatment of dyslipidemia in people with HIV, a topic that has received quite a lot of interest in the past few months. Thank you all so much for listening today. And please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts to make sure that you join us next month when we will continue the conversation. Bye.